Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq al and you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Use that same username to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. You will find us there at that same username at Radio Islam USA. So subscribe, rate, review and most importantly do not forget to share now before we begin we'd like to thank our sponsors recycle processes for their support as well as the support of ciogc that is the council of islamic organizations of greater chicagoland and you can find out more about the work that they do at www.ciogc.org all right family our guest today is an activist who also happens to come from a long line of activists. He's a poet, father, public speaker, and most recently the author of Everyday Islam, 365 Days of Living Your Life for Allah, Marcus Ishmael Abdul Haq Allgood. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it is a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You know, when I think about um, kind of this public space, you know, of America, uh, we think about our collective concerns and our collective interest and like the things that we consume, right? Whether it's television, uh, film, music. Uh, also, I think about books as well. Now, even though Muslims are a minority in America, in the United States of America, you still think that there would be some type of a representation of, uh, you know, that speaks to those specific concerns. Now, I think about Christians, you know, we think about uh, chicken soup for the soul, um, and how many iterations of that we've seen. And then when I come across your book, Everyday Islam, 365 Days of Living Your Life for Allah, um, I think, man, this speaks directly to that point, you know, that there's an audience, there's a group in this larger group that maybe is not being spoke, uh, spoken to. Were you aware of that, or was that something that was in your consciousness when you uh, when you uh, did this book? Well, my, my book sort of grew organically and had some, some other influences. Um, I, I started off um, almost like a uh, social media um, diary, and I would post things that inspired me from the Quran and Sunnah, from things in society, my critique in society, what inspired me, you know, it was, it was pretty organic. And um, people were responding to it, and I and I realized it wasn't just Muslims responding to it; it was non-Muslims responding to it. And one time I had stopped for a while, and I started getting emails, primarily from non-Muslims, and it's like, "What you've been posting online was awesome, and we want you to continue." And um, it was like Rufus and Jenny Triplett. They they wrote a book. Um, surviving marriage and they took their um their tweets and things and put it into a book and i said that's a good idea so i compiled um my uh post that i had online and just converted into book form so really it's just my it's not a scholarly book it's 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 an everyday language um from my vernacular from my cultural group and just just talking about my engagement with the Quran and Sunnah and real life, that that Islam has practical everyday application. That's why thus everyday Islam, you mm-hmm. know, just for the regular everyday Muslim. 
Right, right. Uh, did you feel well to that to that point? Because you said there were uh, not just Muslims, but there there are Christians. There are people who don't ascribe to the Muslim faith that were invested. They were benefiting from uh, from what you were sharing. So to, to that point, um, how do you think overall we are contributing to the elevation of the consciousness of broader society? Do you think that this book is in itself uh, a representation of that um, of that um, uh, of that contribution or is it or, yeah. or do you think there's 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 more work to be done as well? Well, I, I definitely think there's more work to be done. Um, one of the things I was looking for and why the book came to be was um, I was looking for a daily devotional. Um, I saw the chicken soup for the soul. I saw like the daily bread. You know, I used to be a Christian minister and we had the daily bread. Uh, we had these Sunday school books that we would read out of every Sunday. And I was like, you know, I, I was couldn't find one that was in everyday talk. They were, uh, I found a couple books that were scholarly, but you know, like an everyday daily devotional, uh, I just couldn't find it. Um, eventually I did find one, I think it's called Bounty of Allah, mm -hmm. but they would just, they would have a, um, a small anecdote there, but that, that I found that after I published, I couldn't find it. Um, and so I I like, well, I got enough material from 10, 15 years of posts in these quotes. Mm -hmm. I can just put them into a book. So um, thus, everyday Islam. And in my personal life, my mother, um, she was a Christian, or she is a Christian. And, you know, you, you want to appeal to your family. And uh, one, help them to understand you and your faith. So I gave her a Quran. And she just, she said, I just mentally could not access it because, you know, it's different than the Bible. It's not in chronological order. Right, right. So she didn't understand. She didn't understand the verbiage, you know. She just, she didn't understand the Arabic, some of the phrases that we use. So I gave her a copy of my book, and she got it. It was like, voila, I totally understand. Mm. You know, it's like breaking down the crying and center and smaller bites, you know, instead of shoving the whole pie in their face, you know, <laughs> give them a slice. <laughs> give them a slice of the pie, you know. Right, right, right. And and, and my, my approach over the years has been changed. I used to be very um, polemic in my aggression towards um, non-Muslims on Dawah and, and, you know, you going to hell and mm -hmm. you coppers and, and I was going hard and a lot of times it didn't result in building bridges. It didn't result in a jihad. Right. <laughs> it just it just kind of pushes people away, adversarial right? Yeah, it pushed right. people away, created adversarial relationship, you know. What, what was the changing point? Well, um, when, um, when I talk to people in an everyday conversation, like um, I used to talk to gang members when I was in D.C., drug dealers on the corner, me and my buddy, um, now Imam um, Baron Jamal Bell, out in Maryland, in D.C. area, mm -hmm. we used to go out on the corners and talk to the guys, like while they're out there drug dealing, right. bring them sandwiches and and talk to them. 
Mm. And we found that people had profound issues going on. And they didn't just arrive in a vacuum in the corner. They didn't, like, was born, like, I want to be a drug dealer gangster when I grow up. Right. They had situations. They were dealing with problems. And I felt Islam had a solution. Mm. So we were taught. And sometimes I would quote the Quran and not even tell them it was from the Quran. And they was like, man, that was powerful. Mm. I needed that. So I was like, yeah, we can talk practical. Islam has applications that we can use in everyday life. Mm-hmm. It's not this esoteric concept that it is. it can be applied in everyday life. So that's part of that. And, and, we, and my book was inspired by that, that we, Islam has solutions for a lot of these situations, has hope, it has inspiration, um, and it has motivation, and it has practical solutions. Let me ask you this. When uh, coming from a background where you were a you were a Christian minister, um, yes. and, and now as a Muslim and, and you've served and, and uh, uh, inshallah, with God's permission, we'll get into also your, your work as an imam um, with uh, mm-hmm. L.A. West Veterans Hospital. Um, but mm-hmm. what are some of the things that that you can identify that you brought with you from that experience uh, uh, into Islam that, you know, that that continue to facilitate your own uh, development and your own ability to serve? Well, um, for me, um, when my when I made the transition over, mm-hmm. um, there's a tradition in our faith um, in the Hadith about if you're good in the dunya, you will be good in the faith. So I brought the good with me that I had. Um, I was a public speaker. Um, I was very versed in Bible, and and when I was able to talk to people as a Muslim, I could actually enjoy what truths that was in their book with what's in our book. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, like I was, um, I was, we were doing an activity with Black Lives Matter out in L.A., downtown L.A., and about 300 Trumpsters came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the mega people, and um, and they had big boys. They didn't bring the little boys. They brought the big boys, the six footers, <laughs> six foot five, three hundred pounders. Yeah. I don't know. They, they, they like they brought muscle. Uh-huh. I guess they thought they was going to have some kind of confrontation with this. Mm-hmm. And their strategy was to get a reaction, and gives a, and they will stand behind the you know Constitution and say we have the right to be here and we have the right to say what we want to say, and they will say all kind of reckless stuff. And they saw that you know there was a lot of Muslims there too because we were um, doing a coalition between different organizations, um, and Black Lives Matter was sponsoring it. Mm-hmm. And they were causing uh, uproar, and uh, we were doing things for the Native Americans and other groups. So um, it got it got heated. So I stepped in in between. They saw that I was Muslim. I had my kufi on. I, you know, I, I'm unapologetically a Muslim. Mm-hmm. I'm so um, the pastor of their group, who was leading the march, started saying falsehood about the Quran and the Sunnah. Was making up stuff, saying stuff that was in the Quran that wasn't in the Quran. Mm. And when I began to talk to them that we believe Allah is the same as Elohim in the Hebrew, I started talking to them about that Jesus is in the Quran. It talks about Moses and Jacob 
and Mary. We got a whole chapter. Mm-hmm. They was like, they didn't know that. They was like amazed. And it sort of took the steam out of the whole march that they were trying to do. Like, why are we even went here? From <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it, it changed the dialogue. And he was saying, the Quran said, um, Allah's a deceiver and he's the best deceiver. And I was like, that's not what it says. And I opened up the Quran. I had the Quran right with me. I opened it right there. Mm-hmm. It says, you know, they plan, Allah plans, but Allah is the best of planners. So he was misquoting the Quran. I was like, that's not what it's saying. And they were like, they were looking at him like, dude, you've been misleading us. Mm-hmm. So it changed the, the conversation and we were able to have a dialogue. We was able to talk. And I found that the aggressive polemic approach, you know, it has its time and place, mm-hmm. you know, but as you, you, you have to use Hickman, the Quran talks about using the best arguments and being wise in your approach, because sometimes you can turn people away. You know, um, when Musa, alayhi salam, went to Pharaoh, mm-hmm. um, he went to him humble, kind, and used the best language. And, and it's not always an aggressive polemic approach because right. sometimes you can soften their heart by using softer language mm-hmm. when you talk to people and and they they can find wisdom and people have found wisdom um even from my quotes you know and I quote the Quran in every daily devotional mm-hmm. and they found wisdom there was wisdom you can find wisdom in any faith tradition and I like See what Islam has to offer. You know, take a look at it. It has some wisdom that you can use in your life. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I find that we often we often receive what we are attracting, what we're looking for. And I don't want to, you know, you know, delve mm-hmm. too far off into the whole idea of, you know, the secret, but but these are actual laws. Uh and mm-hmm. you know, even we look in the Quran, you know, where it says that, you know, the man or woman, you get what you work for. You get that thing that you are uh that you are mm-hmm. going after, that you're putting your time and your uh, efforts into. Uh, is there a particular is there a particular devotional, is there a particular um musing or offering that you have given that have you know, that somebody has come to you and said that this was you know, like this was life. This was something that I really needed, uh, maybe more so than than the others, because I know that they're all well received. But can you think of one? Yeah. Um. um well, like on day one on on the Everyday Islam book, um, finding your silver lining. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of these devotionals were things that I was going through. It's my own self reflection, uh, me having positive affirmations for myself, not just for everyone else. So if it resonated with me, it would resonate with others. Um, and it starts off um, finding a silver lining means facing the cloud. Sometimes things don't get better. Bad things do happen. Sometimes you are stuck between crap and more crap. But to survive it, you got to own up to your own crap and find some grace in it. For you to make it, you have to emphasize the hopeful side of a situation that might seem gloomy on the surface. If you're ever going to find a silver lining, there must be a cloudy day. I tell you, there is always some hope somewhere because Allah says, oh, people, enlightenment has come to you hearing from your Lord and healing for anything that troubles your heart and guidance 
and mercy for the believers. That's in Quran 1057. Mm. There is beauty in everything, but some people just can't see it. Allah has always placed there a silver lining in every dark cloud of your life if you keep looking. The silver lining in life is when inexplicable tragedy creates an opportunity to take your righteous anger and sadness and turn them into a force for finding the positive in life. I can personally tell you it is not easy. I wouldn't suggest otherwise. And sometimes you just don't want to hear the same old cliches that everything is going to be all right. But what I do know for sure is that dumbfounding circumstances can be changed into action that yields positive outcomes. Love you, family. Assalamualaikum. So that was in day one. Um, I was just in, in a situation. I lost my job. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. I was having marital problems. I mean, it, I was getting hit in all angles, bills piling up. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, it was like a something I had to say to myself and, and find an ayat that replied to, to respond to that. I was like, I got to find a silver lining. You got to have hope. You know, um, without hope, um, without hope, you are already defeated. So, mm-hmm. and now I'm, I'm glad that I got through those circumstances. And when I look back, I see God's divine hand in it. That it made me a better person. It made me stronger. I made different decisions. I had to make moves. You know, I moved out of California to help my mother in LA find a good job. You know, everything was brand new, and I see it. I had to go through those circumstances, but there was a silver lining there, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that was some of my inspiration behind that. You know, I was going through something, and right. we all go through something, Muslim, non-Muslim, it don't matter. We're going to have, we're going to be tested. We're going to be tried. And um, and this comes from places we don't know is coming. You know, it, it comes all of a sudden on us, and you're like, oh, wow. Right. It looks like Every, everything happens all at once. It's not just, you know, incremental sometimes. It's just, wow, I'm hitting, getting hit in all angles. So, um, you know, we have to find a silver lining, find hope in everything. The audacity of hope is the late um, a previous uh, president, Barack Obama, would yeah. say. Yeah. The audacity of hope. We have to find hope. To be hopeful. You know, there's something, yeah. uh, I, I think, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily to be described, described as a trend, but just the general sentiment um, that I think exists in society is one of avoidance and not confronting the difficulty. Uh, and, and of course, you know, when we think about avoidance, you know, how do we mentally check out of a situation? Uh, then, you know, then that has direct correlation to the the rise in, in substance abuse, uh, rise in, uh, you know, prescription, particularly with the abuse of prescription uh, drugs. And um, and just behaviors that take us out, uh, take us mentally out of the moment. And what you are talking about, and what what people who realize that the only way for you to actually have any kind of real growth and healing is to confront those circumstances head on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I appreciate Absolutely. that. And and also um, a lot of times we try to check out and not have the divine like mm-hmm. we want to do it on our own um we don't want to consult the divine you know we have a god i don't think god left us without guidance 
and he sent us a book right. to give us guidance. So why can't we utilize that? Why can't we access the divine in these circumstances? Because God has something to say about it. You know, it's not the first time he had to deal with people that were suicidal, that was going through depression, that gone. He's seen it all, and he has an answer. And it's in our book. We have an answer. Islam has an answer for this, and how to deal with depression, how to deal with divorce, and and um, how to deal with um, you know someone in your family not acting right, or your family turning against you. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, Islam has an answer for that. So um, that's what my books try to address. That you know in small incremental parts. You know, they say you don't, well, I don't know if they say this, but it, it seems like something that they should say is that you do not eat the food of a cook that will not eat their own food. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, and it seems very much, uh, based on what you've said is that, you know, you utilize what you have offered to, uh, you know, to, to the, to the, to the family, you know, what you've offered to, uh, to, to Muslims and non-Muslims, to the human family. So I think that's uh, mm-hmm. also uh, really important. So in talking a bit about some of the uh, the experiences that have either contributed to uh, to the book or maybe inform your, the, the work that you do uh, in general, who are the people that have been important in your life uh, that, that have, you know, that, that, that kind of touchstones, uh, if, if you will, um, to, to help in, in your own, I guess, your own plotting as far as to, you know, how you're moving, how you how you see the world. In, in addition, of course, um, to uh, to the Quran and the Sunnah. Well, I, I believe it's very important to not only to read, because I, I, I even call some books my mentors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if my initial my initial stage of Kind of convert. When I left Christianity, I went through an agnostic phase before I became Muslim. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just spiritual, not religious. You know, you hear that a lot, <laughs> spiritual and not religious, which is a religion in itself. You know, they're not, yeah. they, you know, um, it's just um, not following any particular guide. You're trying to wing it yourself. But, you know, I realized we don't have a clue. If we had a clue, this world would be fixed, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But we don't we don't have a clue. So we try to. And um, I, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. That was very profound for me. Um, it, it made me start thinking and even considering because I didn't know nothing about Muslims. Um, mm-hmm. I, I got in a dialogue with some Muslims in the military and they opened my eyes to things um, about the Quran. So I picked up the autobiography of Malcolm X. I picked up the Quran. I read a couple books by uh, Maldudi, uh, Milana Muhammad Ali, yeah. uh, Aisha Lamu, um, and and I and I studied for a year before I even came into the masjid. And I considered myself Muslim. I was already praying and doing everything. Right. And then I finally um, found a masjid. It was a Wharf D night um, masjid. So and then I was introduced to. The teachings of Imam Warfi Muhammad. Um, um, I visit Salafi Masjid. They had an impact. Um, um, different, and I decided for myself, I'm just Muslim. Mm-hmm. I could follow the Quran and Sunnah. I didn't follow any particular group, mm-hmm. but they all had contributions. Um, 
uh, ran into Senegalese Muslims. Um, they were uh, followed under Sheikh Abu Bubamba. Mm-hmm. And I thought what they brought uh, was beautiful also. And so all of them contributed to who I am and uh, my understanding of this dean. Mm, now, I mentioned early, earlier in your introduction, um, as an activist, you come from a family of activists. Yes, sir. So talk, talk a bit about that, because um, I think I think folks will find this really, uh, you know, the, the apple, does, the, was it the fruit does not fall far from the tree? Yes, yes, um, <laughs> definitely. Um, my mother and my grandmother, and going back even further than that, were activists like my grandmother, Emma Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see much about her on TV. You know, they, you know, hear about Rosa Parks and some others. But Emma Hill, she was um, the president of the Tennessee chapter of the NAACP. And even though she was just a uh, a maid at you know some rich folks' house, right. um, she was paramount in changing desegregation in Tennessee. Um, my mother went to her one day and was like, you know, they would have ripped books, pages missing. They were old. The teachers didn't have third number third grade educations, and she like this is just the plumbing wouldn't be working, no water running in the schools, and she was like, "Mom, um, this is ridiculous. You know what are we gonna do about it?" My my grandmother said, like, "Hmm, you're right." So just instead of just complaining about it, she she got a coalition of people um, to protest the um, segregation in Tennessee. And her, her main goal was to improve the condition. And um, she filed a lawsuit in Tennessee, and they desegregated the schools. And my mother was the first person to be integrated in Tennessee schools. Um, and um, and a lot of the opposition, I mean, the KKK rode the bus with her. But, wow. you know, some of the op- opposition she got was from the teachers. And my grandmother, a lot of the opposition she received wasn't from whites that were from black people like oh you just stirring up trouble right. and things like that um and and so many teachers protested because you know they wasn't accredited they wasn't certified they wasn't educated so the desegregation in school meant, meant the end of their jobs mm-hmm. there so you know they they had a little um hatred there towards my grandmother but overall um the end um they got improved education and i myself plan to finish her fight here because even though she filed the lawsuit and they did integrate the schools to a degree, um, the lawsuit is still pending. Mm. So it's not, desegregation is not outlawed. They just, you know, made the move, but it could go back. It's not law. Oh, you mean they never actually passed uh, anything about it? They just just made the move? Yeah, it's still pending. Wow. Yeah, it's still pending. So okay. uh, I'm I'm in the process of seeking a civil rights attorney, uh, talk to different groups to see how we can actually make this law. It's still pending in Tennessee, desegregation. It's a lawsuit is still there. They've done case studies and like they even cited the um, the lawsuit, but it's still there. And most of the people that was involved in the lawsuit has passed. Right. So I don't think they're going to see, you know, 
grandson popping up. Well, no, it's not over, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you thought they all was gone, but they, that's, you know. That's crazy. That's, <laughs> that's crazy that, um, number one, that they have not just went ahead and taken care of that, you know, and made that a, mm-hmm. uh, and passed legislation on that. Um, right. Yeah, that, that's absolutely crazy. I think Tennessee is also the place where um, there was a sister who was, and I can, her name is on the tip of my tongue. I want to say her last name was Brown, um, but she was imprisoned. Um, she she'd undergone some really traumatic uh, experience. I think uh, as a matter of human trafficking. Centoya, uh, Centoya, I think her last name is Brown. Yes, and um, but I think she was she was in Tennessee, and she's she's out now. But um, come on, Tennessee, you know, step your game up. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, inshallah, that that will that will go well, and they will actually do what needs to be done, and actually, you know, and and pass legislation. Inshallah. Yeah, inshallah. Um, the thread that runs through through everything is this idea of intentionality. Um, intentionally being um, hopeful uh, and and putting that within the context of the guidance that that God gives us, right? Um, uh-huh. And letting that fuel everything we do. So whether it is activism, you know, whether it is um, you know a, a protest, whether it's you know our roles as 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 brothers and sisters, fathers, mothers, you know, whatever. Um, does this idea of intentionality have any bearing on the work uh, that you did with L.A. Veterans Hospital? Whenever you're in a space with people who are sick, uh, who are dealing with traumas quite of the body, quite often we don't all we don't always look at the impact on the on the mind, uh, on the mm-hmm. spirit. Um, can you talk a bit about that that experience? Well, um um, in the Imam Onawi's 40 Hadith, he talks about actions are judged according to intentions, according to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu so, Alaihi so. And um, and there are Nia is important or intentionality. Um, it, uh, even it, it helps you to understand your why. Once you understand your why, why are you here on earth? Why are you doing A, B, and C? Why are you getting married? Why are you? here, um, then you know uh, what fight you need to be in, you know, once you understand your purpose. Um, and ultimately, is to serve Allah, but what does that mean? That seems very ambiguous, you know, how do you serve Allah, you know? Yeah, we do our salats, we fast, we pray, but, you know, the Quran said, let there rise a band of you who who enjoys the good, um, enjoys the right and forbid the wrong. Right. So um, we have to figure out what that is for ourselves. If it's homelessness, if, if it's um, um, dealing with mass incarceration, uh, joblessness in our community, find out, and, and particularly in the African-American community, we have a lot of things that's going on in our community. We have good in our community too. People don't recognize a lot of good in our community, yeah. and and then but we got a lot of forces that are working against us. You know, from redlining, um, um, the reverse mortgages, um, getting jobs, um, having felonies and can't get a job, and a lot of things. So um, 
to me, it seems like it's overwhelming all these different issues. And I say, pick one, you know, mm. just pick one. Okay. Uh, um, I have a theory. I call it my sweater theories. Um, and way it works, a sweater is one piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if a thread is, if you pull on one thread, it will unravel the whole thing, right. you know? So I found that in my activism, everything's connected. Um, I started off doing work with, um, like dealing with the Prop 47 in LA, which took um, the band box. Was that that? Um, well, that 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 was the first one. That, okay. Yeah. Um, that was the, one of the first things I worked on was the band the box take the felony check mark off of the applications. Okay. Um, but that led into the Prop 47 that dealt with um, ten felonies, um, nonviolent felonies, and reduced them to misdemeanors because um, a lot of it was like marijuana possession they had passed they had passed marijuana laws in la to making it legal but it's a bunch of guys in prison for marijuana possession <laughs> you know right. marijuana and i was like that's not right <laughs> you know what i'm saying you know no matter what your feeling is about marijuana they shouldn't be in jail if you just pass a law and now these other groups are making money off of it and his brother's been locked up for 10 20 years for possession you know so and and when they get out they have felonies and they can't get jobs they can't get housing they can't vote for these same things so we passed um that we formed a coalition we did our one-to-ones for everybody in the community knocked on doors to um to get these laws passed. As far as um, the VA clinic, um, which and I said that all to say, one thing led to one thing, one thing led to another. A lot of the homeless people were veterans, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm like, how are so many veterans out here that are homeless? And there's so many programs that are for veterans, and they just don't know, or they don't have access to it, whatever. So we we started when we start talking to homeless people because a lot of people that were out there had felonies, they were veterans, and they were just out there. They couldn't find no job, and you know, L.A. is very expensive to live. Right, you know, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I, I I I lived in Marina Del Rey, and I was spending two thousand dollars for one bedroom. Mm. So that that sort Ouch. of gives you an idea. Yeah. So and even I, I found a place in. But in South L.A., South Central, they hate saying South L.A., they say South Central. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, it's South Central. I'm, okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> but uh, they were saying, I, I found a friend that was renting, who happened to be Muslim, and they were renting, you know, um, to renting out a two-bedroom apartment to me. And, and that was still, you know, $1,600. And that was considered that's considered cheap. He could because they were right close to the uh, college there. Yeah, and they could have got twenty five hundred easy. <laughs> you know, yeah, but they they felt as Muslims that it wouldn't be right just for greed to keep raising um, the rent. See, and that's that's another thing. You know, Islam changed their mindset on that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They could have been greedy and kept gouging and kept gouging and kept gouging like everybody else was doing, you know. But they realized that that impacted our community. So um, 
I appreciated that, but still it was too high. So eventually I, I ran into a brother, uh, Brother Bilal, at the Central Masjid, um, Central Avenue, uh, Bilal, um, Masjid Bilal, right there on Central Avenue. Okay. And, um, and we were um, talking, and he was like, yeah, um, he's like one of them. He works at the hospital, and he's administrator. And we were talking, and he's like, I want you to, um, he wants you to talk about it, um, um, come and do a kutbah. So um, I decided to uh, go up there and do a couple lectures, and it led to several other lectures, and they asked me to be a man there. Um, temporarily until they until they got a chaplain. One of the things, one of the uh, issues we ran into is space. Mm -hmm. Space. Um, people don't realize space is a it's a commodity. It's a it's value, and and how people allocate space is how they allocate power. And absolutely. Even though even though it was a lot of Muslims there at the veterans campus, we. Um, they let us use the chapel, the, the church chapel for Juma, mm -hmm. for Juma there, and um, so that was a, a, a you know fight for space. We wanted to have our own masjid, our own space, um, fighting to get brochures and mm -hmm. and to be able to have people coming there talking to other people about their faith, and we didn't have access to that. So we were always is a constant challenge for space, space, space. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that that was a jihad that we had to deal with, but um, a lot of the people there need encouragement. They need encouragement. They need a, a word that um, that um, that God is there. That um, that you know you're not alone. Mm -hmm. That there's hope. And. Um, because, you know, a lot of the veterans don't have hope. You know, you'll see them missing legs, missing arms, eyeballs missing. Yeah. They sick with diabetes, all kinds of things going on. And um, you want to give them hope. And I hope, as we as Muslims, we are able to dispense some hope with them. And I believe we did a good job with that. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. That is uh, wonderful to hear. It has been a pleasure having you on the program and talking to you. Um, would you, first off, because we cannot go out without reminding folks where they can get your book at, where they can uh, connect with you on uh, social media uh, and so forth. So if you would be so kind. Sure. Sure. Um, I am on Instagram, Twitter, and um, Facebook. Um, you can get my book on Amazon and Google Book. That's what there, and there's two volumes so far. Um, um, volume one and volume two. It's going to be a two-part. It's actually a four-part series. Um, so I broke it down to smaller, you know, mm -hmm. books. Um, book two is a little thicker than book one, hold but on, you I'm can sorry. get it on Amazon. I'm sorry. Hold on. There's a part two. Part Cause, two. Because I yes. have, I there's have, I have one. I didn't realize there was a two. Well, two just came out maybe a few months ago. Um, I published that. Um, so I'm going back over the other ones and doing some edits to improve it. You know, that's something authors go through the process. Sure. Sure. Um, but um, part two is out there. Uh, I got a little bit more political in the second one, but still the same kind of 
motivational, inspirational, uh, deal with uh, uh, more difficult things like riba and polygamy in that that mm. one. Okay. Um, but, you know, I deal with some stuff in this one like terrorism, um, um, standing up, you yeah. know, uh, instead of having that, uh, you know, just having your cell phone out and videoing things, you know, you know, getting involved and helping people, you know, mm. um, not just be a, you know, filming wrong and not doing anything about it. You see a lot of that, you know, they posting the world star, like somebody needs to break. It was an excellent um, video. I saw a, a brother, Muslim brother, mm-hmm. two kids were out there fighting instead of world star and video and YouTube. He interrupted it to start talking to him. I saw that. And uh, yes. yeah, that was very powerful. Yes. And, you know, he got a, you know, that's 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 a hero and mentor to me when I see stuff like that. Yeah, and we need, we need to step up uh, more often, you know, mm-hmm. not just seeing things, you know. Um, and I, I talk about that in this book, Volume 1. But I talk about some political issues, too, because I am an activist mm-hmm. and a community organizer. So some of that seeps into my book. But um, I, I try to keep most of it dealing with um, inspiration and motivation. Okay, alhamdulillah. So give us those handles again, where we can, uh, usernames, where we can find you. Um, I'm on um, my handles. Um, I'm on um, Facebook under Ishmael Abdulhaq. Um, um, on Instagram, I have Everyday Islam. You can find me there, Everyday Islam. Mm-hmm. And um, in Twitter, I am Malgo02. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Oh, and but I, importantly, I, you can get mm-hmm. my book on Amazon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and I will not miss this translation opportunity because I know that the family is diverse, right? So we've got Muslims, we got uh, Christians, we have Jews, we have uh, whatever you uh, ascribe to. So I know we got a diverse group. So I always try to make sure that we translate any Arabic terms uh, that would be considered out of the norm. So we know we don't have to translate Allah, right? But so um, Ishmael, he mentioned riba. So riba is usury, right? That is something that is uh, specifically uh, forbidden uh, and prohibited uh, in the Quran. So that's, um, I'm sure that that sounds quite interesting um, that you would oh. include that. So yeah, I, I can't wait to uh, to check that out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, uh, and, and my perspective on it changed a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, um, I was like, I don't know, you know, how are you going to get a house? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. But um, and my perspective changed and I, I've sort of taken a more of a harder line on it. And I try to explain it, you know, from the perspective uh, of mathematics, you know, mm-hmm. um, how, how it doesn't benefit our society. And somebody's going to lose like musical chairs. Right. You know, you got 10 people and nine chairs and somebody's not going to get a seat mm-hmm. because of Reba or or usury. So um, but I go into it a little bit deeper on, in the book. But Yeah, I, I would I would uh, enjoy having that conversation with you um, later on. I definitely would. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, th- these are the once again, going back to the practical application, um, you know, how do we live? Uh, our faith, right? Not just talk about it, but mm-hmm. how do we live it? So, uh, absolutely, brother Ishmael, I appreciate you, uh, and definitely pray for your continued well-being and success. Keep doing the work, 
uh, it's needed. Um, Thank you, sir. So, uh, inshallah, uh, we'll have you back on in the near future. Inshallah, and um, and thank you, and I, I I pray that nothing but good come to you and your family to Zakat care. Amen. Wa'alaikum. All right. Wa'alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. All right, uh, family. Our guest has been Marcus Ishmael Abdul Haq. All good. Uh, he is the author of Everyday Islam: Three Sixty Five Days of Living Your Life for Allah. Uh, and you had his handles and you heard where you can get the book from uh, on Amazon uh, so we appreciate you continuing to check in with us for these conversations and hope that you are finding something of value uh, and benefit in them uh, with that we're going to prepare ourselves to get out of here uh, once again want to thank our sponsor CIOGC for their continued support you can get more info about them at www.ciogc.org I am your host and producer Tariq Alameen, and we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.